Good afternoon and welcome to From Where We Are, stories of news and culture through the lens of USC and Southern California. I'm Malcolm Caminero, coming to you live from Studio B in USC's Annenberg Media Center. And I'm Jiro Kanyas, taking over Fernanda Nimani today. It's Tuesday, the 27th of February. Today we have Aiden Williams joining us in studio to give us live updates on the Michigan primary. Hi Aiden, what is going on in Michigan so far? Hey Malcolm and Jude, looks like the polls are just closing in the Great Lakes states and we don't have anything in yet, but it's going to be a really contentious night, so we'll keep you updated. We'll get into more of that soon. On today's show, Wendy is testing out a surge of pricing to their menus. USC hosts Edible America, an event about food and sustainability, just in case you were still hungry for more food-related news. Walmart is now doing mammograms in their stores across the country. And lastly, Daphne Yaman, Michigan native, joins us as we talk about the Michigan primaries. All that and more from from where where we are. And now we have Jude with today's headlines. President Joe Biden met with three congressional leaders Tuesday morning in the Oval Office to discuss the potential of partial government shutdown at the end of the week. The meeting comes only three days before the funding for the various departments, including agriculture and transportation, runs out late on Friday. The loss of departments could have serious impacts as the shutdown of the agriculture department would threaten critical food aid programs and block loans for farmers. The closing of the transportation department could increase the risk of travel delays and safety. The delay on the funding is stemming from House Speaker Mike Johnson facing pressure from House conservatives to use the shutdown as a bargaining chip to get border and immigration policies out of Biden. After a passionate one-on-one meeting, Johnson feels very optimistic about sealing a deal with spending. Three and two to Shohei Otani as Leon stretches and comes to the plate now. Swung on, hit high in the air to left and deep. This ball carrying, this ball is gone! It is Dodger debut. Superstar pitcher and hitter Shohei Otani made his debut in Dodger Blue in Tuesday's spring training game versus the Chicago White Sox. The much-anticipated debut of the $700 million man fulfilled what every Dodger fan was waiting to see, home runs. At the bottom of the fifth, Shohei delivered. A crowd of Palestinians can be heard cheering along the beachfront as they receive air packages from international partners today. Urgently needed aid has arrived in the city of Rafah, located in southern Gaza, as part of an international operation led by Jordan. With the help of air support from United Arab Emirates, Egypt, and France, food and other supplies were dropped down along the coast of Gaza. Jordan and international partners ramped up the airdrops in effort to underline the desperate need of aid in Gaza as aid groups have warned of growing restrictions on their ability to distribute supplies and resources. For for UAE and Egypt, it appeared to be their first time they dropped supplies into Gaza since the start of the war. USC earned a gold rating from the Association for Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education, or the ASHES, after the school has made significant efforts to create a greener and more sustainable university. The Green Air Initiative comes under USC President Carol Fultz's sustainability moonshot, aiming to create a healthy, just, and thriving world. The rating is based on a criteria established by the ASHES Sustainability Tracking Assessment and Rating System which is used as a comprehensive sustainability benchmark system for universities that addresses the environmental, social, and economic aspects of sustainability. USC Chief Sustainability Mike Derlample said, quote, Earth's strategy has always been to make sure sustainability is integrated throughout the university. It's not solely about earning a gold rating, but also how about how we continuously improve and how we work together to solve sustainability challenges globally. 
Everything is connected and everyone p- plays a role in solutions, end quote. And that's just some of today's headlines. Let's get an update on the Michigan primary from Aiden Williams. We got our first votes in today. 1% of votes in. Donald Trump is up 54.4% to Nikki Haley's 39%. Now, we expect Donald Trump to win the night. All polls are showing that's likely. What we're really looking at tonight is going to be the Democratic primary, surprisingly enough, if Joe Biden can beat the uncommitted votes that Arab Americans are bringing to the table. We'll have more on that later on, but right now we're just watching and waiting and seeing how much Trump wins by, see how much Biden can fight off these uncommitted votes and see if he's really the candidate for the job. What I like about cheese is that you can put it on veggies. Thanks, Aiden. The USC Center for Political Future today held an event featuring chef and food activist Ashley Walters. The event focused on food security, organic farming, and the art of eating well. Reporter Aiden Williams is live in studio to discuss more about the event, and let's hear about it from him. Thank you, Malcolm. Today, over 40 USC students, faculty, and staff descended upon the Ronald Tudor Campus Center for a discussion between chef, activist, and author Alice Walters, and USC Center for the Political Future host Douglas Brinkley. The conversation topics varied widely during the hours-long conversation, from education to politics to social issues to even the transformation of American values. However, there was one key theme of the day, food. It gives meaning to my life to be connected to food and nature, and uh, I feel, and beauty. I really require beauty in my life. That was Alice Walters speaking about the importance of food in her life. During the event, Walters spoke about the importance of buying directly from and supporting local farmers. The move could not only improve our health, but contribute to a thriving farm-to-table economy. For some attendees, such as USC junior Will Dolan, this, met- this message in particular stuck with them. I think it's really important, kind of, a lot of localized food production, and that's something that I think a lot of the country is really missing out on. Um, I've kind of grown food since I was a kid at home, and so it's, it's, uh, it's great. I really enjoy it, yeah, stuff like that. For others, like USC senior William Higby, conversations around food, public health, and policy and even Walter's working relationship with former first lady and public school food reformist Michelle Obama drew them in. You know, importance of food health and nutrition among kids and stuff like that. And that's stuff that, you know, exists on such a micro level at, uh, you know, the, the school lunch table. And it can be, but it, but it requires such a large policy shift at, you know, a government, state government, and even national government scale. So I think, you know, it's important to sort of think of that entire pipeline from both the table and the, the, the literal food to, you know, the policy decisions. Despite the progress Walters has made in promoting nutritional eating in restaurants and schools, she says there is still much more work to be done, including on USC campus. For Annenberg Media, I'm Aiden Williams. Wendy is considering moving to a dynamic pricing and AI-enabled menu changes in 2025. This would mean that depending on the time you go, the price for the same item might be different. Seth and Perez has the story. 
Imagine walking into your favorite fast food restaurant, craving your favorite item, only to find out that the price has changed since your last visit. Not because of a new menu or special promotion, but because of something called dynamic pricing. Wendy's, the international fast food chain known for its square burgers and frosties, is stirring the pot by introducing Uber-like surge pricing on its menu. With an investment of $20 million into new technology and artificial intelligence, the time of day, your location, and even the amount of customers in line could all affect how much you pay. So, how will customers react to these fluctuating prices? We took to our local Wendy's to find out. Ellen Sheehan, a Wendy's <coughs> customer, shared why she chooses to eat at Wendy's. Uh, being a single mom, full-time college student, they have lots of good deals, so I can get a decent amount of food for less expensive and it's also better quality than like other fast food restaurants. However, Sheehan feels that given the surge in prices, she will look for alternative places to eat. Definitely, because if the lunch already is already $9 and the surge goes up and I'm going to spend $12, I'm not going to come to a fast food place, I'll go somewhere else. For other customers like Allender Pullum, Budgeting is very important to them, and they value predictability in prices. And no matter how good the food is, Pullum shared that he will only eat at places that fit his budget. You know, for a person like me, I live off a budget, so when I come, I expect the price that I see. If it changes every moment, you get a massive amount of people or a short amount of people, it goes against my my budgeting system. But how will Wendy's new dynamic pricing affect those who heavily rely on fast food as a primary source of nutrition? Definitely choose another place to go to eat, you know. I would hate not to eat because I love the baked potatoes, but <laughs> for the prices, if, you know, I gotta make what fits my budget. We spoke to Dr. Kerry Kreutzer, USC professor of clinical gerontology and pediatrics and a dietitian for over 42 years. Um, people with money will, will say, it's fine. You know what? I'm ready to eat now. But I think for lower income families that are on a tight budget, I think they probably will learn the system almost better than people that aren't on a tight budget. Kreutzer's insight highlights an essential aspect of this conversation the impact of fast food availability and affordability on community health, especially in low-income areas. If you look at the area surrounding USC, is, um, you know, South Central LA, uh, the food deserts, and if we look at social determinants of health, which is a really important concept for students and others to recognize, the social determinants of health basically say that if you live in a zip code that has poor housing, has poor access to grocery stores, has high stress level, has poor employment rates, has schools that don't score as high, that people in that community, they're going to live 20 years less than the zip code where I live. As we discuss the implications of Wendy's pricing experiment, it is clear that the fast food industry's role in our daily lives and its influence on our health and wallets remains a hot topic. On one hand, dynamic pricing can lead to healthier consumer choices, while on the other, it risks isolating customers and increasing food insecurity among vulnerable populations. For Annenberg Media, I'm Sethan Perez.
I'm Malcolm Caminero. We're glad you're with us for From Where We Are. And I'm Giro Cañas. It's 19 minutes past the hour. Coming up, we learn about Walmart introducing mammogram exams in their stores nationwide. And later, a conversation with Michigan native Daphne, Daphne, Daphne Yemen. For many of America's more vulnerable populations, access to healthcare can be a challenge. Walmart is trying to bridge the gap by bringing mammograms to the masses. Reporter Robert Westerman has the story. If you've ever been to Walmart, you've likely seen a host of restaurants inside, like Subway or Wendy's. Now, Walmart's dabbling in an entirely different field. Back in December, Walmart launched its first Mammogram Now Center in its superstore in Milford, Delaware. The center, which is operated by the radiology provider Radnet, offers basic mammogram screenings to Walmart shoppers who can then use that screening to seek further primary care if necessary. Dr. Shawana Moore, a member of the Women's Health Advisory Council at Healthy Women, said that the centers break down accessibility barriers including time and money, but most importantly increase the number of early detections of breast cancer. Shawana also said that by offering a one-stop shop for women, they can get several tests done in a single trip. So now that helps with them being able to do multiple things, including care for them, their families by getting the groceries that they need or clothing they may need or necessities they may need, but also being able to use that same time to then get your screening mammogram. When it comes to dealing with breast cancer, early detection is crucial for better management and better outcomes, said Shawana. In addition to its accessibility, Radnet's partnership with Walmart deals directly with issues of equity and diversity. I think equity was at the forefront of this, um, if not explicitly said, um, partnering with Walmart, knowing that Walmart cares for or serves a diverse population of women, equity was at the key of this. Within its first month of opening, the Milford location identified one true positive mammogram. Through early detection, that woman can then go on and seek the appropriate treatment while not having to worry about any responsibility from the screening received at Mammogram Now. Due to the success of the pilot location, Radnet has plans for expansion in the near future, said Tim Merchant, National Director of Screening Networks and Population Health Strategy at Radnet. We think there's a wonderful future for this. We are investing a significant amount of money right now into the technology to help facilitate operations like this. Next time you go shopping at your local Walmart, keep your eyes out for the newest mammogram screening location. According to a Radnet press release, Walmart shopper Deirdre Bell puts it simply. You come here to get clothes, food, medicine. Why not a mammogram? For Annenberg Media, I'm Robert Westerman. And now back to Aiden Williams for an update on the Michigan primary. Now more votes coming in. We have 4% of votes in with Donald Trump ahead, 65%, so gaining a clear lead. We're having most of the votes come out of the Detroit and Grand Rapids area, and we'll slowly get more of the county districts as it goes along. Surprising thing about this that you should know is that only a, a small amount of the candidates and delegates from this vote are going to come from the primary. Most of them are actually going to come from the convention this Saturday. So this is an important vote, definitely important for Trump to gain a few candidates. But what we're going to really going to look for is the Saturday convention. So this is just more of a warm up on the Democratic side. Joe Biden is 80 percent of votes in for him. 
And there is also 15% for uncommitted, which is really concerning for him, showing that uncommitted is really a referendum against him. Now, Malcolm, we've talked about the uncommitted vote before. What's kind of your ideas around it? Do you think it's necessary? Do you think we need a referendum on Biden? I do think it's necessary. It's fair to allow the populace to dictate who they want as their actual president and not just go into the traditional two-party system. And that's perfectly all right. I think it's fair that we should have a referendum on. I think it's really important. Now, obviously, Trump represents a threat to our democracy. So if we're hurting Biden like this, if we're showing a referendum on him, does this hurt the Democrats position? Does this hurt democracy's position, especially coming into such a close November election? I think it can in the future. And we'd have to really just wait and see on how that'll play out. Thank you again, Aiden. Appreciate it. Sounds great. Residents in Los Angeles Watts neighborhood face a higher risk of health issues due to illegal dumping and environmental harm. Our producer, A.C. Schick, has the story. Located in South Los Angeles, between the 110 and the 105, the Watts neighborhood faces disproportionate environmental harm. It has a lot to do with just like racism and prejudice to begin with. There have been multiple uprisings, rebellions, one in 65, one in 92, where the community has rebelled against the powers of be that continually hold them down with an iron fist. That was Megan Wong, the volunteer coordinator at the Watts Labor Community Action Committee. Wong explained how the people of Watts have experienced environmental racism, referring to the disproportionate harm people of color face from environmental issues. According to the 2020 census data, the neighborhood is 78% Hispanic and 19% Black. Watts native, former Jordan High School student, and current USC student Genesis Cruz saw environmental racism every day. Even in like the streets of Watts, you'll see like there's there's just a lot of trash. There's a lack of all those like resources that we'll see in affluent communities. Near her high school, there is a metal recycling plant that plagues the area with loud noises, hazardous fumes, and metal scraps. Going to high school all four years, I was able to see them in work, I was able to hear them, and I was able to smell. Jordan High School is right on Alameda Street, and all down Alameda Street, it's like an industrial corridor. Like There was actually a program manager at Jordan where arriving at the parking lot, her tire was popped due to a metal that flew over to the parking lot. This mistreatment is seen in other parts of L.A., Cynthia Babbage is the founder and director of the Del Amo Action Committee. She has encountered similar neglect to Watts. The redlining that's happened here um, is still in effect. And until you really flip that and are willing to get rid of the industrial zones that are embedded right next to communities, um, the change is going to be slow. To end this injustice, Wong is leading the committee's campaign to stop dumping in Watts. Illegal dumping is caused when anyone, often contractors or truck drivers, leave waste behind to avoid fees. It's an eyesore to the community. The trash, it attracts like fleas, it attracts bugs, attracts rodents that, you know, carry all of these different diseases. So it not only affects like the environment, but like also mental health, physical health, like It really is, again, just like malign neglect. Health disparities are seen in research done by PhD student in the UCLA Environmental and Sustainability Program, 
Danielle Hogue. She's the research director for the Better Watts nonprofit and led research to see how environmental racism is harming the Watts community's health. For people who have existing um, heart problems, pulmonary problems, um, they can be subject to hospitalizations. We've heard reports of people developing cancers as a result of being exposed to these volatile organic chemicals. Many of Cruz's friends and family members have asthma and other disabilities. The teacher in Jordan High School, she developed um, bronchitis and many other like respiratory issues. And when she went to the doctor, uh, you know, she was asked questions like, okay, where do you work? or how is the environment you live in. The doctor told her, like, okay, well, you working next to that recycling plant is likely the reason why you develop these issues. To prevent further harm, Hogue hopes the research can grant access to funding for lead pipe replacement through Biden's 2021 infrastructure bill. By doing this study, it can be a framework for other communities that have aging pipes to assess the danger of those pipes in their communities and hopefully apply for funding. Ultimately, there is a necessity to have better living conditions in Watts. Everyone deserves clean water and a peace of mind that they're living in a safe environment. For Annenberg Media, I'm AC Schick. Look, if you had one shot, one opportunity, We've had Aiden with us on the show discussing the Michigan primary from a voter perspective. Now we have a Michigan resident and Michigan voter in studio with us, Daphne Yaman, a junior studying journalism and marketing. She's been involved with politics nearly her entire life. Daphne, we want to say a warm welcome and thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. We'll kick off. Um, as a Michigan voter, what are your thoughts going into the election? Um, there's a lot to consider, obviously. Um, Coming from Michigan, we have a very um, high Arab and Muslim population. I come from a Muslim uh, family myself. And so, you know, apart from your classic kind of infrastructure, environmental concerns, um, immigration concerns, I think the top of the list for sure is foreign relations um, and especially the Biden administration's handling of the war on Gaza. Now, I need to know the uncommitted vote is really big right now, being pushed by Arab Americans as well as far lefts, um, mostly associated with Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders' campaign. What are your thoughts on the uncommitted vote, the referendum on Biden? Where do you kind of stand on that? I think it's great. Um, everyone close to me back home, friends and family have all voted uncommitted today. Um, and, you know, we kind of talk about this threat to democracy, right? We always talk about Trump in that context, but I also, I think that the greater threat to democracy is forcing people to adhere to this two-party system when most people just don't fit in with, within those lines. Um, I think that, you know, the Biden administration's refusal to call for a permanent ceasefire has um, not only taken away from the Muslim vote, Muslim progressives, um, but has also taken away from, you know, far left progressives. So that's a lot of Gen Z college age kids who have been, you know, protesting and doing a lot of the heavy lifting in America um, in regards to work um, for Palestine. Um, so I really think that, you know, an uncommitted vote is 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 showing Biden that, you know, we're not just going to forgive him. Like we know exactly what he's doing. We're watching the news. 
Um, and we're letting him know that, especially Michigan, you know, we're calling him out. You had experience in the 2020 election being a poll worker. Can you tell us from a non-outside perspective how you can expect things to change in this current election with the current tensions that are happening? Um, so I don't come from like a well, at least the elections that I've worked have always been in very rural areas. Um, and we so we see, you know, a vast majority, um, you know, votes for Trump is what we saw in uh, 2020. And I'm expecting something similar. Um, I think that Trump's indictments have actually helped him a lot in terms of publicity and popularity. And so I do I think that his fan base is very unwavering and they will continue to do so. They will show up to the polls and they will vote for him. Um, The question is whether or not, you know, Democrats or progressives are going to show up for Biden um, because a lot of them, you know, again, friends and family back home are considering not voting in the general election because, again, it's it's voting for one person who supports genocide or another. Um, And that's like just a decision that a lot of people are not up to make. And and I'm curious about, you know, your state, Michigan. How do you do you think the outcome in Michigan uh, will sway the outcome in other sort of battleground states? Do you see? Um, Honestly, not really. Trump has won every state so far. And that's that trajectory is obviously going to continue in terms of just the primaries. Um, Obviously, Michigan has historically been a very purple state. But, um, you know, we elected Trump in 2020. 2016 um and then obviously we elected biden in 2020 so it could technically go either way but i think that you know the arab votes are not going to be for biden again and that is a very significant portion of michigan especially on the east side of the state with dearborn and detroit um but in terms of influencing other swing states i don't think that we have that kind of power Um, You know, with the Republican primaries, we would have expected something like that to maybe have happened between Nikki and Trump, where um, especially in South Carolina, we would have expected maybe some type of battle. But um, I think people are going to vote for who they already know who they're going to vote for at this point or if they're not going to vote. So I don't think Michigan's really going to swing anything. Thank you for your time, Daphne. We appreciate it. Thank Thank you so much. We're going to send it back to Aiden Williams for another live update on the Michigan primaries. Aiden, what's going on? Well, speak of the devil, the uncommitted votes is now at 16%, Joe Biden at 78% about. Um, More votes are coming in from the country right now. We still have the majority in Detroit and Grand Rapids, but we're starting to see the Ann Arbor and more northern Michigan side. Now on the Republican side, Donald Trump continues to lead with 64% to Nikki Haley's 31%, reflecting the fact that Nikki Haley didn't spend nearly as much time in this state really campaigning, really putting her voice out, putting her message out as she did in South Carolina. Now, Nikki Haley is struggling, but she said she's gonna stay through to Super Tuesday, see what happens, see if she can pick up some votes there. So she's fighting on, but right now it seems like Trump's just gonna pull ahead. Thank you for your time, Aiden. And that's all we have time for on today's show from where we are. Issa Johnson directed, AC Schick, Eric Trevino, and Suna Muhammad produced today's show. We had help from Amanda Murphy and McKenna Ryan. Our board operator is Grayson Solomon. Our live stream manager is Malu Petch. 
Our coach is Mallory Cara. Our technical advisor is Matthew Buxbaum. Derek Renfro composed our theme music. And thanks to Aiden Williams for joining us in studio for primary updates. Catch us live on YouTube at Annenberg Radio News through Monday, Monday through Thursday at 5 p.m. Subscribe to From Where We Are, whenever you're listening, wherever you're listening right now. Finally, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Annenberg Media. I'm Judo Kanyas. I'm Aiden Williams. And I'm Malcolm Caminero. From all of us at Annenberg Radio, wherever you are, we hope you'll join us again for From, from Where, Where We, we Are. are.